This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, December 30th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk, and it's just our second to last show of the year and the decade. So we're entering a new decade in just a few days, and there's a lot to discuss, a lot to unpack over the last 10 years, as well as, you know, maybe prognostications for the next 10, which if you look at history, the any 10-year period is typically very different than the previous 10-year period. So uh, expect a lot of change, some for the good, some for the bad, just like always. And we are here to help guide you through hopefully the next 10 years and beyond. And Steve and I spent a good deal of time here on Invest Talk helping you get your investment strategies aligned with your performance objectives, your risk tolerance levels, and we thank you for joining us. And for those of you that have told your friends and family members about Invest Talk and its downloadable podcasts, we thank you as well for a wonderful year. And as we go into the new year, it's time to maybe prepare your portfolio for the coming challenges because there's always going to be challenges that will you will face and if you are looking for unbiased guidance you've come to the right place i'm justin klein i thank you for joining me on this show and each and every weekday on invest talk and i want to hear from you i want to know what is on your mind your calls drive this show drive the topics drive the direction and if you do make that call, we can better help you in particular make better decisions about your money. Now remember, our goal here on Invest Talk is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And that means we want to make you a better investor, a better saver, just simply have a better philosophical outlook on your on your money, on your path to your own version of financial independence. And we do this each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So in this hour, I'm going to help you make that next step in your path. And you can call me at 888-99-CHART. That's our anytime listener line. You can call it live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can call after hours and we will answer your question on a future show. Now, you probably heard that Steve has scheduled two consultation trips in January Dallas, January 24th, that's a Friday, and then New York City, 28th, 29th, he gets full schedules there, very high demand for him out there in New York City, that's a Tuesday and a Wednesday, so he'll be helping you get your asset portfolio balance optimized for your needs and your goals, these are Steve's in-person appointments, they're offered at no cost and no obligation, you can learn more and sign up at investtalk.com, just click on portfolio review. Now my main talking point today concerns this question. What role should value stocks play in your equity portfolio going into the new year? Now, a trend in recent months has demonstrated a resurgence of performance for value stocks. 
and we're going to talk about why and go a little bit more in depth as well. Also, retirement expectations versus reality. It's an interesting study that basically breaks down. When did people expect to retire and when did they actually retire? And that may inform you on what to expect and maybe adjust your strategy or your plan based on you know what is reality versus just simply what are your expectations. And then it, will 2020 be a good year to buy a house? We're going to touch on that as well. So that's what's on my mind today. I want to know what's on your mind. 888 is how you get through and ask your question. I urge you to call in sooner rather than later. Let's take a quick look at the market today. We had the S&P down just a touch, about a half a percent. The small caps down about a quarter of a percent. NASDAQ down about three quarters of one percent. Pretty decent down day. Nothing too dramatic, but... Uh, interesting going into the latter part of the year typically you get more of Santa Claus rally where you have low volume and uh, you know selling in the market or negative days take above average volume typically why because you have automatic investments from 401ks and uh, different you know think of betterment and all the robo advisors all that money is going in to the market consistently uh, and tends to push the market up if there's no an overwhelming power to sell the market uh, for whatever reason. So that was interesting today that we had a pretty big sell-off. People taking profits going into the next year, maybe not as happy with what's going on economically, right? We, we have new highs in the market, but the economy, once again, is still kind of at stall speed. And uh, you have the Texas Manufacturing Business Activity Index came t- down today, still in negative territory for that five five months in a row or so. So not a not a shock, but it's actually not five months. So six out of the last eight months, it's been negative, which is pretty interesting. So that's kind of what the market was today. Modest down day going into the last trading day of the year, which is tomorrow, last trading day of the decade. Now, it's our last live broadcast of the year and the decade, so let's go to the phones to grab a question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Uh, it's James calling from Australia. Uh, long-time listener, big fan. Just got a question about Quest Diagnostics, uh, ticker symbol DGX. Just wondering what your thoughts are long-term, three, three to five years. Yeah, it's, a, it's like an inter- interesting company. It seems to be growing. Thank you. Bye. All right, this is Quest Diagnostics. The symbol is DGX. And this is a company that provides diagnostic testing, information, and related services to the healthcare industry. Pretty much the largest diagnostic service company uh, in the world. Them and what's their competitor? They have a competitor. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But we actually recently bought this for our managed accounts. And we like it. We like Quest. This is a company that is consistent, right? It's not a big grower. Revenue grew last quarter at a 4% clip. Earnings grew at 5%. So it's one of those slow growth, large blue chip names, yields about 2%, which is 
also growing. Its dividend is growing consistently. Its payout ratio is only 35%. So there's certainly a lot more upside for that dividend potentially over time, which looks like they're going to continue with that. Debt is only about $4 billion on a $14 billion market cap. Pretty modest enterprise value to EBITDA is 12. You know, not super cheap, but definitely not expensive either. And I think there's just, especially with the advances in medical technology, this is something that I think more and more people are going to be getting tested. You know, preventative medicine is something that I think is big for the future and catching diseases earlier and being able to treat them earlier is going to be more crucial. So we like it. We like Quest Diagnostics, DGX. Their biggest competitor is LabCorp. LH is their symbol. Uh, but we liked Quest just simply because of its, we think it's a little better run. Its profitability metrics over time have been stronger, kind of in the mid-teens is where it tends to hover on return on, best, return on equity, which is nice for us. Uh, we like, and their free cash flow continues to march up pretty much year after year. So we like Quest Diagnostics long-term. It's not a deep value play, but it's a solid, steady business with a growing dividend. And that's what we like about it. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday. And it is broadcast and streamed live in the four, or five, four o'clock Pacific time hour each weekday. And whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to contact myself or Steve at our KP Financial Irvine offices in California. And you can also explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, subscribe, and rate the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. The start of a new year and a new decade is almost here. The health of your financial future may depend on the decisions you make in 2020. Justin Klein is here now, ready to provide his unbiased investment guidance. The phone lines are open, and Justin is taking your questions live. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, our main talking point, actually, let's go, let's talk about bull markets, right? The We're in a bull market, we're in the midst of a bull market, and... The market has been marching up ever since basically the Fed started printing money again in September, right? If you look at the chart, you had the first half of September was bullish. You marched up a little bit, sold off into late September, October. And I think once the market understood what the Fed was doing with the repo, I don't say cover up, but fix, which is printing $100 billion a month. I think that's when the market just started marching higher, right? There's a very strong correlation to the growth in the Fed balance sheet and what the S&P does on a week to week basis. So, and that remains intact, right? Money being printed tends to flow into the, the indexes. Uh, for various reasons. 
And we've registered five straight weeks of gains and what one three straight months of gains basically if you we're gonna close the day tomorrow. And we know that we're past the phase one trade deal. But phase two is going to be, I think, much tougher. Right? Because there's a lot in phase one that leaves it up to action over words. Right? So you can't get a phase two deal until you see some action behind phase one meaning China purchasing agricultural products, doing some things to limit IP theft, right? The st stipulations that China has to come through on before you can even discuss a phase two. So that'll be interesting to see, to monitor that as, as, the, as 2020 goes on. And the Fed. The Fed printing $100 billion a month, are going to continue with that? They kind of need to. Do you think it's a coincidence that our debt is rising roughly $100 billion a month and now they're printing about $100 billion a month? I think it's a coincidence. I don't. You know, deficit spending can work for short periods of time. But as we all know, if you keep adding debt to your balance sheet year after year, month after month, eventually it catches up with you. And I think we're at that point. And that's why the Fed's starting to bail out our government and their lack of fiscal discipline. So how does that evolve throughout the year as well will be very interesting. And we know from history that no bull market lasts forever. So it's a matter of if, or not if, but when the bull market will end. But once again, a lot is reliant on what happens with the Fed. And now we have two doves coming in that's replacing a hawk on the Federal Reserve Board, which likely will mean more loose policy in 2020. But keep attuned to Invest Talk, and we'll keep you up to date on what's happening throughout the year. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you've heard that. Heard me say that I believe every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance, and you can do that by taking our free online tool at investtalk.com. But now I'm ready to take your questions at 888 chart It's another busy investor work week. You've got investment and financial questions, and Steve and Justin are ready to give you their unbiased guidance. The Invest Talk phone lines are open, so call now, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Kent in Texas. He's looking at Tangers Factory Outlet Centers. Yeah, Justin, I'm looking at Tanger. Um, they've got an FFO mm -hmm. of around 11 from what I'm seeing. They've been paying their dividend for over 25 years, and... Uh, I'm wondering about their cash flows. Can can you look at that and just and see what you think if that cash flow will cover that nine percent dividend? This is a company that's been favored in the past, but it's kind of down and out right now. I guess because retail's so hammered. And what do you think? Uh, well, based on cash flow, they're they're not 
earning enough cash flow to um, actually, sorry, they are earning enough cash flow. I apologize uh, to pay that out for now. Uh, the issue with them is that their growth is solidly in the the negative. Earnings fell 9% this year and are going to fall another 4% by analyst projections next year. And they've earned, revenue fell both of the last two quarters. So it's the trajectory of their business that's the problem here. And they have a decent amount of debt on, on their balance sheet. Not a giant amount, but but a decent amount. And it's enterprise value to EBIT is about 9.5, which is low-ish, but it's kind of high for, for something that's shrinking. Um, so it is a good value, I would say, um, but this does scream as a potential value trap. Now, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Uh, they, they typically are owning outlet centers where there's a lot of discounts and uh, there's a stickier shopper base than you, kind of your local mall typically, right? Because it's more of a destination place. So there's a lot of risk here. That 9.5% reflects that. Anything that's yielding 9.5%, in this market when treasury yields are at, what, 1.8%, 2%, something like that, uh, then you're going to be looking at something that's relatively high risk, and the technicals are showing that as well. Okay, So I would pass on this if you're looking for something safe. But if you're looking for a deep value play, a turnaround play, this could be your name. So uh, what are you looking for, Ken? Are you looking for safe or are you looking for yeah, I'm looking big upside? For, I'm looking for a really low, uh, you know, like maybe a half a percent of my portfolio just for the, for the yield. I'm 68 and like everybody else, mm-hmm. searching for income. Yeah, you're 68 search for income, and if you, it sounds like you want to be a little safer, and this is not the name for that. This is not a safe name, safe dividend, uh, at least right. in the long term. In the near term, I think it is, but something that to own for the next five, ten years, I could easily see, especially in a recession, uh, this company turn, running into a lot of uh, debt problems. So I would pass on it if you're looking for something safe. Okay, call, thank Kent. you, Justin. My thank main you talk- for all the help. No problem. Thanks, Kent. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. That was Tangers Factory Outlet. S-K-T is the symbol. Now, my main talking point today concerns the question, what role should value stocks play in your portfolio? And after basically a decade of growth stocks continuing to outperform value stocks, over the past six months, it's kind of flipped. The Spiders Portfolio S&P Value ETF is up 13% over the last six months versus 9.2% for the S&P Growth ETF and about 11% for the S&P as a total. And momentum stocks have done even worse. So MTUM, which is the MSCI Momentum Factor ETF, that gained just 6.6% over the same period of time. So value stocks typically trade at low er- you know, price to earnings, price to sales, price to cash flow, while growth stocks trade at much higher multiples based on above average revenue growth typically. And momentum stocks are typically defined as those that are in strong trends, right? Buying Momentum stocks basically means you're betting that winning stocks will continue to win. 
well, growth and momentum have suddenly started to underperform after a long period of time of outperforming. And what you're seeing is a lot of flows coming out of low volatility ETFs and into the value side of the market as well as small caps and mid caps as well. And there are various reasons for that. One is the, the bet on the resurgence of growth in industrials and typically industrial names are more value focused. And I actually think part of it is a bet on accelerating economic growth. But we're actually buying industrials for our clients, not because we think growth is going to accelerate in the economy dramatically, but because of onshoring of manufacturing, deglobalization, and we feel that is a longer-term trend that we're trying to take advantage of. So I think that's part of it in the market as well. Uh, and value stocks typically have lower risk, and I think that's that could be as well, where you you know if the interest rates rise, you see a reduction in the multiples that companies trade at. And you can see multiple compression. And if you're already trading on a low multiple, there's not a whole lot of multiple to compress versus growth stocks. Many of them are trading at 50, 60, 100 times earnings. And if you get multiple compression on those, they can drop 40, 50, 70% very easily. So I think this will continue as long as we have the current slow growth environment. Now, for the New Year's holiday, we have prepared two new best of shows that will be posted for download tomorrow and Wednesday. So check those out. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions at 888 chart Numbers are elusive. But if it goes to zero, do you lose all your money? They're always changing. As you know, Apple is all-time high again. Invest Talk listeners know it's all about the numbers. I'm 82. I'm interested in knowing what the recommended withdrawal rate would be. So the questions keep coming. Hi, Steve and Justin. I question regarding real estate. Everything counts. Jason, El Segundo, how you doing? Let's go to Michael in Fremont looking at Occidental Petroleum. And here's an interesting number. Downloads for the Invest Talk podcast now average 450000 each month. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, thank you for your continued support. I really appreciate your insight and your understanding of the market and financial business. Since it all started, the total number of InvestTalk downloads has now exceeded 19 million. InvestTalk.com This is InvestTalk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Mike from Florida. And I just have a question about Roth IRAs in retirement. It's my understanding that you must have income for having or using a Roth. But my question is, what if you, your income is just from uh, rental income? Is it still possible to have a Roth IRA in retirement with just having rental income? Really appreciate your program and uh, keep up the good work. I uh, learn a lot from your program. Thank you. 
Now, I am not a CPA, so I always give you the caveat of that. But from my understanding of it, it needs to be earned income. Earned income. So, uh, meaning you need to have some sort of job to bring in that money, right? And to make it earned. It cannot be for from an investment, for example, like an investment property or stock dividend or bond interest or CD interest or bank account interest, whatever, right? It needs to be some sort of wage or salary or tips or bonuses, okay, in order to make those contributions. Now, if you're filing jointly, you can make the contribution for your spouse if they aren't working. So that's something to consider as well. Um, so maybe one, you know, you retire and one of you is still working and the other is retired. They can make contributions for you if you're filing jointly, things like that. Once again, consult with your CPA. That's definitely something that these rules change. You know, I'm not a CPA, so I'm not up to date on how Congress changes the rules because these there, there's always caveats to tax questions. Um, and so I think everybody who has somewhat of a complex life who doesn't just have a straight W-2, isn't just using a standard deduction, I think everyone should have some sort of CPA that they work with or tax repair who's a little more up to date on the current rules. So great question though, but I'm 99% sure it needs to be earned income of some type. Now, let's touch a little bit on retirement. You know, we, we talk about that as financial freedom, but for most people, they refer to it as retirement. And most people have an expectation of when they plan to retire, right? A lot of people use the standard 65, but other people want to retire later right? Because they want to be more involved in the workforce, have uh, more purpose for their lives. You know, they feel like they need more purpose. Uh, others want to retire early so they can travel the world, spend time with their kids or grandkids, you know, do the things that are important to them. So the ex- retirement age expectation spectrum ranges from very young in their 40s to old, maybe even your 80s. Right, But research is showing that people tend to retire actually earlier than expected on average, but it does depend. Now, individuals who say they will retire before age 61 tend to actually retire later than they expected. Those who target 61 as the age tend to retire around that time, but every year you get over 61 as your expected date of retirement, it tends to be about a half year earlier. So if your expectation is 65, that's four years above the 61 number, you're probably actually going to retire at 63. Or if you plan to retire at 69, eight years, well, you're probably going to actually retire four years earlier at 65. So this is very important. Because when you retire can have a big impact on your financial plan. You know, when you take Social Security benefits, what that number will be, it adds years to your retirement period, right? Instead of 
say 25 years, it goes to 27 years, and that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it can be a big difference based on the cash flows, right? Because you're taking money out over that time from your retirement accounts, that's less money that's being earned, right? So those couple of years can have a big impact, especially if you're planning to retire much past the age of 61. Now, one example is a 55-year-old worker today targeting retirement age of 65 will likely retire, like I said, a couple years early, 63. With a 4% initial withdrawal rate, the worker will need approximately 25% more savings today to achieve the same amount of income level during retirement with the same probability of success. So basically what it's saying is just a couple year difference can up your need for retirement funds by up to 25%. And it's a very important distinction. Now, the average difference between actual and expected retirement has been approximately four years on average. And it's actually increased over time. In 1949, and this is, this is international, it's not just America as well. In 1949, the average retirement age was 64.3 years. That declined to 62.4 in 1999 and then increased to 64.2 as of 2012. So it continues to rise as well. And so I think that's a good study to kind of give you an expectation of where reality sits compared to what you're hoping for, right? And this can definitely inform how you plan for retirement, how you plan to save, how much you should save, and your investment strategy as well. So understand that plans, the best laid plans can be changed for various factors. You know, you could have a, a sick spouse, uh, maybe you get sick yourself. That often happens. You know, when you get over the age of 61, Unfortunately, your health problems tend to impact you more and that can force you to stop working uh, a lot easier than, you know, before you turn 61. So I think that's the biggest factor. And then also, you know, like I said, your spouse, your spouse uh, or family member caring for them, that can be a big reason as well. Now, it's our last live broadcast of the year and the decade, but the questions have been coming in, so let's go to the phones to grab a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hello, it's Carlos from Los Angeles. I have a question for Justin. I'm looking to add a short position with put options on Tesla around these levels currently, and I was wondering what you would say I'm looking to buy put options on Tesla around these levels. Thank you. I think it's a good idea um, after this rally on the back of, you know, more Fed money printing and their uh, ability to get more money out of China, right? They kind of, he's, I think, I think Elon figured out that this last capital raise in America uh, was probably his last. Why? Because, you know, he promised a million robo taxis by in 2020, which, you know, there's zero on the road today. So I, I don't think he's going to. Uh, launch a million of them by the end of next year. So a lot of the assumptions or promises around 
that capital raise and just all of his other endeavors, you know, with the SEC, et cetera. I think he has been forced to kind of look elsewhere. Um, and China is a great place to, you know, bring your, your a brand that has kind of a cult following and, and try to raise capital. Um, you know, China, in a lot of ways, their economy does not necessarily need profits and the companies to be well run. China's just looking for economic activity to come. And they see Tesla clearly as the potential for that. And I think he did a financing of about a billion two or something like that recently. And so I think that's what this rally is all about. Um, ultimately, we'll come down to profits and still don't believe Tesla will ever have any sustainable profits uh, that won't be based on accounting tricks and things like that. So um, I think it's a good idea. And if you're going to buy put options, I would go with as far out of or far out in time as you can, you know, into 2021 probably is the time frame that I would definitely be purchasing if you're buying put options on Tesla. I'm Justin Klein. You listen to Invest Talk. 2019 has been a very good year for us at Invest Talk and KP Financial, and our podcast downloads are quite popular. And Steve and I thank you for that. And be sure to tell your friends and fam- family members about Invest Talk as well. And KP Financial has resources available to assist with your goals of building a better financial future. So don't hesitate to reach out to us if you are anytime listener line or directly on our website. Just click on contact Justin, contact Steve, and those messages will go directly to us. And we want to help you in any way, any way possible. We thank you for your listenership this year. Uh, we reached all new heights. I think we're approaching 10 million downloads in history of Invest Talk. Uh, we hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads per month, which is in, in, oh 20 million. I'm sorry, my producer just informed me it's uh, approaching 20 million downloads. I apologize. So we have uh, a large listener base, and we appreciate each and every one of you. And now our phone lines are open, so give me a call at 888-99 Chart. This is Invest Talk. Steve Peasley has added two new portfolio review trips to his schedule. Steve will be in Dallas, Texas on Friday, January 24th, and he'll return to New York City for two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, January 28th and 29th. These are no-cost and no-obligation consultations. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Steve and Justin welcome your investing questions, and the phone lines are open Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin or Steve. I have a question about TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. I just wanted to know what they are, how to buy them, and if now is a good time to buy them with inflation expected to increase. Looking forward to hearing the answer to that question. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, looking at tips, treasury, inflation, protected securities. Uh, there are ways to buy them directly uh, from the Federal Reserve. Uh, I think it's treasurydirect.com, I believe, is one way. 
you could talk to your broker and probably buy them directly. You can also buy TIP, which is the iShares Tips Bond ETF. Obviously, you're going to get a diversified basket of treasury inflation protected securities with different maturities, etc. But you're going to get a relatively consistent uh, income from that as well. I believe they pay monthly if I'm remembering correctly. Let me look at this. Yeah, it does pay out monthly, which is nice. And I believe that is, let me look at that yield right now. And I like it. I do like these because I do expect inflation to increase 1.8% on TIP right now. So nothing fantastic. The worry here is that Treasury inflation protection securities go up, their yield goes up based on reported inflation. And I just don't really trust the government to give us an accurate representation of what inflation really is, right? Because they changed the basket and how it's calculated. It's kind of fishy in that way. There's a lot of different metrics and mo- almost every one of the other infl- inflation metrics are well above kind of that one and a half to 2% range currently. But tips are based on, you know, that lower, um, I I don't remember exactly which index is, but I know it's one of the the lower ones that the Fed looks at. So I don't love it for that, but I think it's better than treasuries. If I'm buying treasuries, I'm buying something, I'm looking for something that's safe-ish, that's definitely a type of security that I'm purchasing. I think there's better inflation hedges than tips, Right, gold, for example, shorting the dollar, uh, even oil, other commodities that are going to go up far more than tips are going to go up, and that's the way I would play it if I really think inflation is going to accelerate. But if you're looking for a safe way, uh, a way to increase allocation to bonds in your portfolio while hedging against potential inflation, this is probably a good way to do it. But it's not my favorite inflation hedge at all by any means. So good question. Great call. Love it. TIP is a symbol exact if you don't know that on the ETF there. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. We have about seven minutes left in the show, eight minutes. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now. Now after the break, I'm going to touch on real estate a little bit. Uh, you know, 2019 was oh started off pretty rocky for mortgages. Sorry, for housing because of higher mortgage rates. And as mortgage rates fell throughout the year, housing got stronger and stronger. So we're going to talk about what is expected for 2020 and whether it's going to be a good year or a bad year for housing. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me for our last show of the decade. And we have one goal here each and every weekday on Invest Talk, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. You have your own path, and we will help you forge your own goals as well. And our work continues after this break. Get your question in now at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 
888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. So let's touch on real estate going into 2020. And we know at this point back in 2018, mortgage rates were near some of the highest levels in years. And for a brief period of time, kind of got close to that 5% threshold. In some maybe instances, it did crack that 5% rate level. And I always said that was, a, I think, a mark that would really crush the housing market, right? Because most people were expecting you know, 35 to 4% mortgage rates for, for many years and seeing that and getting that. And a 25 to 35% increase in the cost of getting a mortgage is dramatic and affects prices dramatically. And so, you know, everyone talks about housing prices and uh, and you look at what happened over the last couple of years or decade, whatever time frame you want to look at. But long-term housing prices tend to go up at the rate of inflation. Why? Because the rate of inflation tends to be the rate that people are getting paid, right? The increase in, in wages. And that's what pays for mortgages and pays for rent, our wages. Fluctuations in interest rates in the near term can have dramatic effects, though. So, and you've seen that this year. You saw that last year with mortgage rates rising. You had a weak housing market. As rates fell into September, you actually hit mortgage rates to a three year low, and that gave a big boost in the back half of the year to real estate. Now, what can you expect for next year? Well, forecasts by Fannie and Fannie Mae and the Mortgage Banker Association expected housing activity sales and new construction to drop year over year during the first quarter of this year in response to that and to improve throughout the year. And they actually were fairly right. But historically, forecasts usually start positive and that upbeat start of the year tends to moderate throughout the year. And this is according to the chief economist at Redfin, which is a large real estate brokerage uh, firm. Now, mortgage rates are hovering right below that 4% mark, so definitely up from September, but not nearly close to where we were late last year, which means that you're not seeing a, not going to see a big headwind from mortgage rates, at least in the first part of the year, unless you see interest rates rise more dramatically. And that's why I say, you know, we're at about 1.9% in the 10-year right now because the 10-year is a proxy for mortgage rates. If the 10-year tends to rise, mortgage rates tend to rise along with it. And right now, we're at 1.895 in the 10-year. If we start getting up to, you know, 2.3, 2.4, then you start seeing mortgage rates more in that 4.5% range. That's where you could easily see the housing market kind of back up a little bit, a little bit, but inventory remains relatively modest. Builders are as optimistic as they've been since 1999, which is a positive, but it also means that they're upping their production, which is good in the near term, but obviously weakens the market long term. Now, sales, even though mortgage rates fell, actually disappointed consensus, whereas home production actually beat expectations. So I think next year will be kind of a, a modest year. 
modest upside in housing overall unless rates accelerate. I think we can squeeze one more caller question in that came in earlier at 88899 chart. Hey, Steve or Justin, really appreciate the show. My name is Ben, calling from Mississippi. And if I wanted to add bonds to my portfolio, if I wanted to start doing that, would a uh, ETF like BOND or BND, the Vanguard or BIL, something like that, would that be sufficient or should I go and buy the bonds directly? That was my question. Thank you. All right, good question. We like to buy the bonds directly. We That's what we do for clients in our balanced income program. It's roughly 50% bonds, 50% dividend-paying stocks. And we like to buy them directly because you have a lot less interest rate risk, right? Because if interest rates move, you just wait till those bonds go to maturity, and then you reinvest them at a higher rate. And so we like individual bonds, but you need a lot of money for that. Each bond needs to be $5,000 lots. And then you need to have a lot of money, six figures plus, in order to diversify your bond holdings. If you don't have that, then a bond fund would definitely be the way to go. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. And for the New Year's holiday, we have prepared two new best of shows. So you can go check those. I will return with new live Invest Talk on Thursday, January 2nd. Please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Be sure to listen, rate, and review. Happy New Year, everyone. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.